Juve are champions. We salute La Signora and bring you all the latest news like Atalanta going top four as the season enters the final straight. But first, some history. Listener, there was a time when other people won the Ballon d'Or. And in 2003, while Sean Paul was getting dutty all across the charts of Europe, a gangly, geeky youth was stepping off a plane at Milan Malpensa, Ricardo Isaacson dos Santos Leche. Kakar, the last man to win the Ballon d'Or before the decade of Leo and Chris. Hello, James Horncastle. Hello, Gab Marcotti. Here today to discuss the, the evangelical, the incredible Kakar, whose birthday it was on Monday. I'm really looking forward to dishing the dirt on this guy. And today is the anniversary of arguably his greatest ever performance wow. against Manchester United, ooh, ooh. which we'll get to. The one at Old Trafford. Mm. It was a sensational performance. Let's just get a reminder of how special he was pre-injury. So the, the commentator on that is Carlo Pellegatti, who is sort of Milan's historic in-house commentator and and also happened to be my mom's next-door neighbor no growing way. up. Anyway, he, and he he never hid the fact, you know, he is a fan. He's done stuff for national. He still goes to games now, even though he's he's not in work. He's always the guy who asks, I don't know, the third or fourth question to the Gattuso in press conferences. But... Just his, as an, a rogue, yeah. Freelance. He's just, you know, yeah. He's just one of the one of the kind of. He's like part of the furniture, I suppose. Right. Yeah. There's and no way like they could deny him. And usually they got Titolo, which is you know media set or something. But now it's just like Carlo Pellegatti. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> but one of the, the the brilliance, and these work better in Italian. One of the, his genius was for every player he had a he had a nickname. The greatest for me was the one he gave uh, Ricosta which was colui che ispira le muse, he who inspires the muses. And sometimes they can be a little bit wordy, as you can imagine. But uh, we heard it. He, well, I just want to throw I've in, I remember the one. Here. He, oh, okay. he used about five of them in that one for Kaká, and one of them, which he used, was smoking bianco, which basically means sort of white dinner jacket. Mm, which yeah. sums up Kaká's elegance Completely. and grace and... With a hint of flamboyance, I think perfectly. Carlo Pellegatti, you give us some others. I do recall him venturing one for Van Basten after a particularly exciting performance by the Dutchman in 92-93, calling him Van Basten Instinct, because, of course, <laughs> that was a big film at the time. And Berlusconi was stood next to him, looked at him and walked off. I mean, we've got Massimo Ardo, who is Vic's vapor rub. <laughs> Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Wanda Ibra, so kind of Wanda Bra. Right, but I think um, also with that Dutch... Also, Fabio Capello, I mean, I wasn't listening to Pelligatti when he was coming up with these, but Windows 95, <laughs> Windows 95. Right. Il figlio di Bill Gates, <laughs> Bill Gates' son. Sheva was vento di passione. Winds of passion. Wind of passion. Mm. He had that kind of look about him, almost a bit more like a tennis pro. You might expect to see him 
giving lessons to kind of rich adolescents or something on some kind of well, California backdrop. Also, because he wore white right. so often, and then again, partly I think to signify his purity, at least mm-hmm. before he got married, but also because it just it just fit him. There was right. something very country club about him. Some of that possibly linked to his to his social background, because mm-hmm. you know, he, he didn't I come know from a favela. It's not like an Adriano kind of. Uh, background, origin story. The likes of Adriano, certainly the likes of Ronaldinho, they, they have moves, they have things which define them. Ronaldinho, you think of those kind of, that kind of leering, spectacular greatness, the obscene stepovers, whatever. When you think of Kaká, what do you think of? I think of Kaká in full flow, zigzagging past players. I think of his speed, acceleration, one of the most dynamic players in transition that you can think of. Someone who what always strikes me is the way he ran. He had this elegant running style, chest up, head up. He was always in full control. He never had to look at the ball. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that really stood out for me is he was able to pick out passes or beat players because he was always in complete control of what he was doing. And he had always had his head up. He knew where his teammates were. He could anticipate what his opponents were doing. Um, and also just the refinement of his technique as well. I think if you look at some of the goals he scores, how clean he strikes the ball, the coordination um, is extraordinary. I mean, one of the goals he scored in the second leg against United, the 3-0 at San Siro, where I think Pirlo plays this ball to the kind of edge of the box on the right-hand side, Sadov knocks it back across goal, Kaká arrives on the edge of the area, and he sends it back across Van der Sar, mm-hmm. uh, left foot volley into the into the bottom corner. And th- that kind of coordination um, was pretty remarkable. His his vision helped by the fact he was so tall. He was like six foot one. He is still six foot one. As for his pace, I mean, there is that great clip of uh, him in the Brazil-Argentina friendly at the Emirates. Where they destroyed them. Right. And he gets into a foot race with a young Leo yeah. Messi. He steals the ball from Messi inside his own half well inside the Brazil half and he takes off and you can see like I think this would have been one of Messi's first games for for the Argentine national team so we're talking 19 20 year old Messi who clearly is like "Uh uh-oh I just lost the ball Brazil's on the counter I better go and bust my rear end to go and catch this guy and challenge him maybe pull him back can't get close enough to him Messi's pumping his little legs right and Kaká running with the ball is faster than Messi running without the ball. I know Messi today isn't necessarily as quick as he was, but but still, I mean, how often does it happen? A guy running with a ball isn't supposed to be faster than a guy running without the ball. And he gets in there and Gabi Milito goes to challenge him. I want to say Kaká does him with his eyes. I would assume so. But I don't know because you can't see close enough. But for whatever reason, you just kind of see Milito falling over and Kaká changing direction. And then obviously it's, it's yeah. the perfect finish. And it's, it's like he's on skates. The thing that always made him stand out for me was the way he simplified everything. A lot of the Brazilian flair it can get a little bit rococo, if you like. But with Kaká, it was always about making the, the attacking action as pure as possible. And perhaps an example of that, in a game that did not, of course, turn out well for Milan, came in the Champions League final in... Oh. in 2005, when you have uh, Pirlo intercepts a wayward ball from Stevie Gerrard, does a one-two with Cafu, finds Kaká. Kaká now has Stevie Jews bombing back in to take the ball. Kaká just touches it with the back of his foot, spins, and he's off. Off we go. And you think, oh, here comes the romp. But no, just one simple ball through, dissecting Carragher and Hippier. 
and it's Crespo and it's and it's 3 0. Extraordinary Kaka in vertical for Crespo! Crespo! Il tiro! Rete! 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 Il tazzo del Milan! C'è una squadra sola in campo! That for me is one of the finest passages of play in, in Champions League history. I wouldn't say it's one of the great forgotten goals because we're talking about it now. But um, in those two passes from Pirlo to Kaka, Kaka to Crespo, they managed to take out eight Liverpool players. Um, it's called, if you're a German tactics nerd from packing. that weird school in Cologne, that's right. It's called packing. <laughs> packing. They came up with this term called packing, which is any kind of forward pass, you know, that obviously is successful, but it eliminates whoever's standing in between, then that's packing. Those guys have been yeah. packed. Honigstein loves packing. I'm sure he does. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the quintessential packing. All right, also, I mean, yep. if you go back to the semi-final, James, ah, yes. against PSV, right. um, he plays a similar pass oh. um, for Shevchenko. Again, where he takes out maybe four or five he PSV players. Um, just <laughs> <laughs> incredible. But I was thinking on a broader kind of context, mm-hmm. what Kakar means in the kind of history of Milan, particularly that era, um, the Berlusconi era. And I think a lot of, if you ask Berlusconi, Galliani, all the kind of players who were there, they would say that the best player that they ever had throughout all the kind of three or four great Milan teams was Marco van Basten. Of course. They, would all, they would all agree on that. But I think if you were to make an identikit Berlusconi football player, because um, what did Berlusconi always get on the back of his coaches about? I want a guy who plays as a number 10. I want us to play good football. Kaká wasn't necessarily a number 10, but would play in those areas. Mm. Clean cut. No tattoos, not a hair out of place in terms of his kind of, you know, no sort beard. of... No beard. Likes right-wing presidents. <laughs> Does he? Wait, is, yeah. is he a Bolsonaro he guy? For Bolsonaro. Oh, no. He's a Bolsonaro guy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, most of them are. I think it was only... The only two that I've seen are Walter Casagrande. Well, obviously. Casagrande. And there's somebody else who's... Uh, I think it might have been Robinho, who you can imagine wouldn't be down with old Bolsonaro. Well, Romario too, no? Probably Romario as well. Okay, I, I, what, my point is, is Sorry, yeah. in, in terms of what Berlusconi wanted from yep. a Milan player, I think Kaká corresponds to it better than anyone. I think you're you're absolutely right. So he arrives, a little bit of background, he arrives in 2003 and at the time there's been a lot of talk about him in Brazil. I think Chelsea maybe had an offer for him, but he chooses Milan largely because Leonardo is... A director at, at Milan. Well, also, already. Leonardo played with him for six months at okay. Sao Paulo. So both Galliani and Kaká credit that time being he was very sold as the new important. Leonardo origi- originally. Okay. And Leo actually came said like they shouldn't accept these comparisons because you know it's a way of putting pressure on him. Mm-hmm. But also, I don't accept these comparisons because he's several categories above. You know, or he, or he can reach several categories above where I ever got to. Really? Okay. Also, there was no hype, no buzz about him. Right. Um, Do you remember what Luciano Moggi said? Yes. So Luciano Moggi basically <laughs> says, uh, well, you can do the voice, Gab, but he says, basically, I would never buy somebody. Non comprerai mai uno che si chiama Kaka. Kaka con quel nome lì. Yeah. I seem to remember there was a banner at one of the, maybe the Tim Cup or Berlusconi trophies from right. one of Milan's opponents saying, now that you've got Kaká, what are you going to buy next? A B-Day. Nice. So, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And the name, of course, comes from his younger brother's inability to pronounce Hikado properly, so it became Kaká, yeah, not Kaká. So he arrives, he's what, 21 when he arrives in, in Milan, and this is a team that's got... Kind of some other players in the that European kind of position. Champions. The European champions. They have Ricosta, they have Rivaldo, they have Pirlo. 
Seedorf. They have Seedorf as well. In terms of that kind of that attacking midfielder or creator right. number 10 role, it's incredible that he is the guy who within months takes over that position. Well, and also like Ancelotti in his, his book, which came out just before he got the Chelsea job, there are only two chapters dedicated to players. There's one that's to Zidane. And the other is to Kaká. Really? And the title of that chapter is the best no-name player in the world. Because, again, there was this idea that no one had really heard of Kaká. Certainly at Milan, they were European champions, as you mentioned. They didn't think they were bringing in someone who could strengthen the team. Partly because, as I mentioned, no hype, no buzz. He'd been part of the 2002 World Cup winning squad, but I think he'd only come on for Rivaldo against Costa Rica. Played 24 minutes, yeah. Fee is very small, 7.5 million euro. Even at that time, it was like... They're picking up for this guy for nothing. Peanuts, but let's Ancelotti had never seen him play. Mm-hmm. Got some clearly some bad information because he goes into a press conference shortly after they announced the signing of Kaká, and has been told he plays in midfield. He's slow, and he's like, ah, oh, maybe he's like my old teammate, you know, that Brazilian guy with the mustache at Roma, Tanina Sareto. Um, and then first training session, Gattuso basically goes to lay one on Kaká just to test him out, see what he's made of, and Kaká just rides the challenge and then picks out this pinpoint 30-yard pass which catches Nesta out. And Ancelotti spends the rest of the training session picking his jaw up off the floor because he's like, wow, this guy is special. And Galliani calls him afterwards saying, good, bad? And he's like, very good. I mean, this is a guy whose career could have been over before it even started. In yeah. that, right. you know, I think in 2000, he, you know, he's going to see his grandparents and they basically go to some kind of, is it like a water park or something? And mm-hmm. He comes down the slide, um, goes into the pool, I think lands on his head, feels a crack, and he's he's broken the sixth vertebrae in his back. And in cases like that, I think uh, there's a 15% chance of being paralyzed from it, and uh, and he overcame it. He had faith. He did well, indeed. I asked him about that when, when I had the opportunity to sit down with him, and he says it's not what turned him because he said he was he was always a Christian, he was always a, a true believer, and obviously credits his faith for the odds of the recovery. But he says it's not just the recovery from the fact that you know I wasn't paralyzed or didn't die or drown, all of which could have happened. It's also the fact that by the end of my recovery, I was who I was before physically and as an athlete. If you have the gift of faith, you emerge from something like that, you know, all the more strengthened. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Well, let's talk then about the Man United game and that extraordinary Champions League campaign. It's the 2006-2007 season. A bit of context here. It's still a great Milan side. You've got, uh, well, Dida, uh, but Cafu, Maldini still playing, Nesta, Pirlo, Seidolf, Cattuso, Inzaghi and the Brazilian Ronaldo. Uh, Sheva has left for, for Chelsea. By this stage, mm. what two years earlier in the 0405 Istanbul season was, you know, top to bottom, an outstanding team. By this stage, it, everybody was, was older. Mm-hmm. And really, this was a team that Kaká really carried. A right. lot of times he would play as a second striker behind, behind Pippo Inzaghi. Or this, the great Gila this was monster. also a Milan team that had been hit by Calciopoli. They yeah. were docked eight points. They were. Uh, they started uh, the season in Champions League terms in the in the qualifiers. No, against Red Star, and they have to overcome that. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. and the attendances were down, and it wasn't a great league the, campaign for them at all. They ended up finishing fourth with yeah. Inter winning the title. I think 36 points above them. But in Europe, it obviously was a magnificent campaign, and one that was powered by Ricky Kakao. 
So he scores 10 goals, which in those pre-Messi and Ronaldo days was a lot. One of his favourites of all time was the one against Celtic. Takes the ball inside the Milan half, shrugs off Neil Lennon, past probably packs Stephen McManus, and then slips the ball past Arthur Boric. Artur Boric, sorry. Yeah. There's a great angle behind Kakar um, as he's running and about to strike the ball past um, Boric, where you see Seidorf even before... Just as just as the ball leaves Kekar's boot, Sadov knows it's it's in, and he's celebrating. He's already running towards her. It's it's a great kind of. They just knew. It's heartbreaking looking back on those sides and and just the collection of players. I think in terms of talent, probably the team that reached uh, the final in two thousand five has to go down as one of the best teams of all time. Now, yeah. in terms of talent, I mean, it's they arguably should have won more than they did. I mean, we mentioned Kekar's first season when he wins the. That they won the league title that year, you know the fact that how many league titles have, have Milan won since the turn of this century? Yeah, two, two, two. You know, with Allegri's yeah, and the, yeah, yeah. Why would that be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, so in yeah. the quarterfinals against Bayern Munich, Kaká scores again. They get past Bayern Munich in the quarterfinals. That was a great tie. Um, I think it reduced our our colleague Rafa Honigstein to tears. Nine. <laughs> Because Bayern actually got a really good result at San Siro in the first leg. Um, they they drew two two, and it was only Kakaga with a I think again a penalty late in that game which which got them level. Um, but then Milan went away and won two nil. Super Pipo in in that game came up big. Clarence did as well. Mm. And then comes the semi final against Man United featuring. The first leg, the goal that Kaká calls his greatest ever. Is the goal in Kaká's own words. When the ball dropped from Dida's long pass, all I was thinking about was trying to do something special. To do it at Old Trafford, with all the history of the stadium, was amazing. Yeah, so Dida's hoofed the ball upfield, and there he is racing down the wing, tightly marked, by one Darren Fletcher. He basically nods it, he controls it with his head, then reaches out one of his long legs to sweep it back in field. And now he's racing past the Scotsman and he's heading for goal. But oh my word, here comes Gabriel Heinzer closing fast and screaming in like a rocket is a young Patrice Evra. And the two are going to absolutely collide on top of Kaká. But instead, Evra goes slamming into Heinzer and wipes him out and Kakar's gone through because just at the last minute he again has nodded the ball down with his head and raced through the closing gap and now he's through on van der Sar and he just calmly slots the ball past him. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's your description. That was like Carlo Pellegatti in English. <laughs> <Before me. laughs> yeah, but it's just so simple, so so white smoking jacket. Yeah, it's mm. so effortless, which is why he... I think he he just captured so many people. It was really difficult for anybody to dislike him. I mean, even for Inter fans, it was like, okay, yeah, we there's other people we like to hate. Mm. And this is the thing. Um, you mentioned going into the season, Sheva leaves. And uh, Sheva, when he does go, says, it's fine. Yeah, you've got the guy who'll carry this team. It is Kaká. Oh, really? Is that what Because you've got the guy who carry the team, and then Inzaghi raises his hand. <laughs> and like, no, not you. <laughs> and... Uh, in these two seasons, in this one, Kaká scores 18 goals in all competitions, and then the next one he scores 19. I wow. mean, yeah, talk about showing up. Peter. And, of course, he wins the Ballon d'Or. And he that. wins the Champions League. They get revenge for the final that Sheva 
couldn't win against Liverpool. It's Athens, it's 2007. Kaká doesn't score. He does put the ball through for Inzaghi to get the winner. He also does that brilliant turn on John Arnariza, which for me was the, the kind of the standout memory. He just does a kind of Cruyff turn at, at speed. I spoke to Riza about that years later, about that very turn, and he's like, I remember it so well because I said, okay, he's going to do something, he's going to do something, he's going to do something. And I'm thinking to myself, what's he going to do? <laughs> you know, like, he's like, I was so aware, like, because of where he gets the ball, I was so sure that, you know, he was either going to lay it off immediately or he was just going to take me on. Right. And sure enough, he did. And I was going through all the possibilities of what I need to be prepared for. While I'm doing that, boom. Wow. And he picks up the Ballon d'Or that December. Here's a picture. You can't see this, listener, but there they are. There's Ricky in the middle, looking like he's just back in the tennis club. And there's a kind of gelled up young Cristiano Ronaldo. And who's this little... (laughs) (laughs) Leo Messi looks like he's won a kind of eSports competition or something. (laughs) But there he is, you know, very happy to be on the podium. And, of course, those two will win the, the next 10 Ballon d'Ors. The next- way, another reason to love Kaká, his hair, like everything about him looked like 1970s like sitcom or something. Like, yeah. like he should be that in like, 70s the, show. the Brady Bunch or yeah. something. Yeah, like. no, absolutely. absolutely. Also, the last Brazilian to win the Ballon d'Or as huh. well. Last of that great run of Milan players as well in the, in the Berlusconi era to, uh, to win that award. Hmm. So it's maybe a watershed moment. For, for Milan in that, that they thought or Leonardo thought certainly that Pato was going to continue that yeah well, that lineage but didn't the following year Man City newly minted Man City decide that Kakar is the man to make the world take them seriously at long last tabling a, a mega offer for the, the Milan star it doesn't quite work out that way if anything, the whole transfer deal has the opposite effect. It, there was talk of 150 million euros. What was the real figure, Gabon? What actually happened? So obviously there's this different versions to this. And you remember the uh, Manchester City chief executive at the time was a lovable man named Gary Cook, a former Nike executive who now is involved in MMA and has done quite well. Not- oh, yeah. He's not involved in, not as a fighter. No, no, James. Although I'm sure there's several people who'd love to be in the in the ring with him. Not least old Sparky, Mark Hughes. Right. Oh, yeah. um, and obviously Gary Cook was forced to resign later from Manchester City because some emails emerged where he made some rather tasteless comments about um, Nadu Munoz's mum and her, her tumor. But at the time, he came in with sort of this very because obviously the. Manchester City had, had been bought by uh, Sheikh Mansour and people who knew he had money. And Gary Cook, who had worked in Nike before, and like there, there was a whole sort of myth around him, like the fact that like he made Michael Jordan's career. Nah, not quite. Probably, you know, David Falk, his agent, probably did. and like, But he was a, in charge of the Jordan brand at one point after Jordan retired. Um, but anyway... And he'd show up to, you know, meetings at the Premier League and he'd be like, you guys are all operating in the Stone Age. You're not even, you know, beginning to exploit the commercial possibility. And, and he kind of pushed this idea that Milan knew nothing about branding and couldn't turn Ricardo Kaká into the global mega lucrative brand that Kaká should have been. Uh, and that Gary Cook was going to do. 
so he has long conversations with Kaka's agent, who was his dad, who Bosco was a civil engineer. One of the things that immediately put a lot of people off of Gary Cook is that leaks were coming from Manchester City about, you know, why the deal was huge, but maybe not as huge was like, well, because, you know, he made it basically seem as if Kaká and his people were just kind of like, you know, ignorant guys from the favela and like, they don't understand. We want to go on a journey with him and, and whatnot. But still, it's pretty evident Berlusconi wanted to sell and cash mm. in. Mm. And Gary Cook and I think it might have been Marwood, somebody else from City, they go to Milan, they have these long meetings, they agree a price with... It's 91 million pounds. With Milan. A, different figures are out yeah. there. Whatever it was, it was, I mean, it was an absolute, remember, the world record at this time was 48 million pounds for Zinedine Zidane, and that was eight years earlier, I think. Mm. So it was a ton, ton of money. And Kaká basically says, I want to do what's best. You know, I, I, I trust my dad. I, I'm going to pray for guidance, obviously. And the great thing about, or one of the unusual things about, in Milan especially, is that right, some players live in the countryside, but many live in town. And why wouldn't you? Because Milan is the land of everything. It's the greatest city in the world. Um, and everybody in Milan knew where Kaká lived. And so he's up in his apartment, and the talks are going on, going on. Gary Cook would later say that they were locked in a room for like 12 hours, and they wouldn't give them anything to drink or to eat. They were starving them, whatever. And Milan fans gather under Kaká's window outside and they start singing his name. And then at some point Kaká decides, or Kaká or his dad says, no, I can't do this. Not for Manchester City. And he comes out onto the balcony and it's late at night and you see this sort of figure lit up and everybody starts cheering as they understand that he's staying. Here's the moment when uh, Processo di Biscardi, of course, announces they had a TV crew down there and they get word from Berlusconi, who was quite a regular on the phone with uh, Il Processo of Biscardi, no? Where yeah, I remember. What is it about sort of national leaders and stuff watching television and occasionally calling <laughs> in? I wonder so, if it would have been a prolific tweeter if Twitter had been around. So the announcement comes and there's Kakar up on the balcony, almost papal. So they're singing Ricardo uno di noi, Ricardo one of us. And then and the image we of him, came here to see Kaká. Yeah, we came here to see Kaká, but the sight of him on the balcony, dressed in pure white, of course, almost almost glowing, saintly, having engaged in, in, in fellowship with his Lord before that, praying to make the right decision, and being able to go to the window and or, or to the balcony and, and say, no, you know, I did not step into the darkness, you know, I avoided the Gomorrah that is Gary Cook, <laughs> Manchester City, Sheikh Mansour, <laughs> to stay here uh, for another 12 months. Not even. Um, not even. I, it, well, I mean, it was you, just so powerful. Right. He knew, uh, Gab, and he's spoken about this, that um, what surprised him was that Milan accepted the offer and were willing to do business. And he knew from that point on that three or four months later, come the summer, other clubs would come, Real Madrid would come, right. and he was gone. Other clubs did come in, and a new world record transfer was arranged between Milan and Real Madrid, and he goes there, and that's the subject for... I mean, they can make their own 
podcast about what happens to him in Spain. Yeah. The, the world it? record, which only lasted a few weeks, of course, because Cristiano. then Cristiano. Oh. So they assemble a dream team. It doesn't really work out for him. He has injuries and he has Jose Mourinho, but he says he, he remained on good terms with everybody. After that, he, he goes off to Orlando in MLS. He does well, he pretty well there. He comes back to Milan. He comes back to Milan, but it's not the same thing. And then yeah. he goes to MLS and he finally hangs up his boots in 2017 at the age of 35. The weird thing was that up until 2016, he was still getting call-ups for the Silasau, the Brazilian national side. Dude, that's Brazil. That's all you. you you're the one who can... 26... <laughs> I don't know what's up with those people, but I believe this was before Chichi. This is... This is yeah, yeah, this is still Carlos Dunga. Dunga yeah, probably yeah. called him up because, oh, maybe I'll become holier and less of a dark soul if, if I have Ricky Kakai. Right. Here. Anyway, so now... <laughs> some um, of his saintliness he is, will rub off on me. Uh, th- this brings us nicely on to the fact that when you talk of and you do Warriors of the Light, none are quite as bright as Ricky Kakar, the man who introduced us to the I Belong to Jesus T-shirt. Yeah, get to the Renaissance. Well, let's get on to it now yeah. because so basically faith was such a huge part and the whole Christianity uh, element was such a huge part of who Kakao was and, and the message that he sent. Uh, he he's talked. He still talks of possibly becoming a, a pastor. He famously stayed a virgin until he got married to his childhood sweetheart, Carolina, at the age of wrote her a beautiful 25. Song. And he wrote her a beautiful song. The song is called uh, A Gift From God, and he and Carolina uh, basically sing it together ahead of their, of their wedding. This is back in 2005. They get married famously at the Hena Sam Cristo, reborn in Christ Church in Sao Paulo. The ceremony is officiated, it's a very simple ceremony apparently, by this married couple who are a famous pair of evangelical preachers in in Brazil, Estevam and Sonia Hernandez. And they founded this church in a pizzeria in Sao Paulo now. Yeah. Really? Because this might be a load of rubbish, but like uh, I've been told that Sao Paulo has more kind of Italian citizens than Rome and Milan put together in terms of well, in terms of people who can claim Italian citizenship, it is a mega city. Mm-hmm. It's not no major uh, Italian influence in Sao Paulo. Yeah. No, no question. Uh, it became a, a massive, a, 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 an empire. And 2007, the pair of them, the Hernandez, uh, Esteban and Sonia, get arrested in Miami. They're charged with illegally smuggling cash into the United States. How were they smuggling cash in, James? <laughs> I'm sure you got some details. I know they had nine thousand dollars in a Bible. Yes. Right. I think they had suitcases full of Bibles, which were full of money. Okay. In total, they were carrying almost $60,000, uh, which they weren't declaring. For that church, and this isn't the only church where there's a lot of money involved, where things become a bit unsavory. Kakao, for example, had donated an estimated $2 million to the church. He was subsequently under investigation himself in Brazil. But really tragically, 2009, that church where he'd got married, the roof collapses killing nine people and injuring a whole whole lot more. And when you put that against the backdrop of where the you know the, the amount of money that had been given to the, the church. Anyway, in, in twenty ten Kakar and Carolina left the Hinaser church, but it's still very much uh, continuing their faith, although they're no longer together. 
which is a shame. You thought that maybe something like that, not the breakup of their marriage, but the, how everything went down with their church might have caused a crisis of faith or you know, faith no more, James, but no. But no. All right. And then 2017, he finally hung up his boots, having become one of the only eight players in football history to win the World Cup, the Champions League and the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, I was at uh, Milan's game against Roma at the end of August, and he was there. And uh-huh. he, he went under the, the Curva Sud, and it was fantastic to see the reception he got. They all sang his song, Siamo Venuti Fin Qua, to see, how long is it now? Almost a decade on since he, since he left, just how, how fondly he's remembered. I mean, there are a lot of nice guys in football, but he's super, super nice. Mm. He is, and the weird thing is, I, when I spoke to him, I just, I'll never forget, Obviously, you talk about what's the last book you read. He's like the Bible, obviously. I remember other than the Bible. <laughs> and, you know, he told me, like, he'd read um, he read a book by, who's that environmentalist dude at The Guardian? George Monbiot. Yes. He'd read his book, and he'd read uh, some other book by some evangelical guy who was a volleyball coach in Brazil. And it's like, I'm trying to understand as I as I get older that I am a radical. You know, I'm not just talking about Christ, although obviously he's central to my life, but... There's so much I want to change, mm. and I, I I believe increasingly in in, in direct action huh. and people taking to the streets. And where we let ourselves down is consumerism. You know, basically, kind of desensitizes us to the importance of this. And so it was funny. I mean, it was it was sort of a, a very kind of you know stroke sort of change the world. Right. Was interesting. Of, As I say, I've but seen it was him. weird because then now what well, you told us earlier. Well, yeah, that, but I'm now I'm wondering because I've seen him listed among the players that that supposedly support or, or gave their kind of endorsement for Bolsonaro. But Bolsonaro seen, would say he's a radical too because he's incorruptible. Well, they both have that kind of evangelical label to them. They both come from that side of the kind of social spectrum, if you if you want. Uh, spiritually speaking, but it's possible that Kakar has been misrepresented or... He was very big on the environment. And the other thing which he said which really struck me was he said one thing that, you know, people who, who have a really strong faith, sometimes the, the, the message that they lose is, I have so much faith in God that God will f- will fix everything. And, and it kind of got to the, God will, God can fix everything, but God also wants us to challenge and he wants us to work to change things and then he will help us do it. Kind of like God helps those who help themselves type, spiel which again was not necessarily what you'd expected from speaking to him Mm. he's he's pretty well-read guy and and you said a very very nice man indeed so all right on next to the present day in city out with juve winning a title and sampdori's keeper who should be called odero not aldero Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast for TV fans by TV fans, dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand. When I first got into this, I was worried about bad reviews and then I realised it didn't hurt. But I say thank you to the nice ones. On my Sky Planner, you will see things like wheeler dealers, the world's most luxurious airliners. (laughs) It's Mr Saturday night himself. (laughs) It's Sam O'Leary. Ready for your Tuesday morning commute. Series linked with me, Emma Bullymore, and Mark Jeffries. City saw a new champion, well, not a new champion, the same old champion crowned last weekend. 
Gab and I were talking just last week, James, about Juve's running and how difficult it looked. And we were positing that, you know, this title race might just get reopened. And for a while, Fiorentina, now under Vincenzo Montella, made it look like that might happen. Federico Chiesa made it look like it might happen. Um, yeah, they took the lead early on from Milenkovic. Chiesa involved. He hit the bar. He hit the post. Um, when it was uh, 1-0 to them and then when it was 1-1. Uh, I think some encouraging signs for Fiorentina going into this week's cup semi-final. Right, so they're in the semi-final of the cup against Atalanta, we'll be talking about shortly. Juve, though, wrapping up their eighth consecutive title. How many is in total? Well, you pick a number. But I think officially, what are we on? 33? No, 30, what are we on? 34, no? Is it 34? They say 36. They say, okay, good. And they've also unveiled today a brand new jersey for next season. What do you make of this? No stripes. Mm. Yeah, it's kind so of half and half. Yeah, what do you think, Jack? Gab? I haven't seen it. I okay. don't want to see it. I'll see it next year. All right then. Uh, I would so. also say that some whispers coming through that Juve uh, found another new centre back. Won't be surprising that they might be going to cannibalise another club and paying a clause. I think we could be waving by to Roma's best defender, Costas Manolas. Uh, again, AK. The Greek guy. But you know what? How old is Costas now? Costas, I know he's is, eternal. Yeah, but you know but, how much they rate defenders with experience gap. No, no I, I've said this before, and this is on a more serious. It's Twenty-seven, note, which means he'll presumably turn twenty-eight next year. Twenty-eight in June. Yeah, there is a serious risk with accumulating more and more and more and more and more older players because older players get old, and you have to pay them more money. And they've already brought in Aaron Ramsey, who's going to be twenty-eight. I don't know. They are, clearly they've put all their chips in and says, "Oh, we're all in. We need to win this." You know, while Cristiano's here, mm-hmm. but I do wonder what's going to happen afterwards because all those young players that we all rave about—that they're all you know—they have under contract and out on loan. First of all, help me here. Apart from Spinazzola and Ken, mm-hmm. and obviously Bentancur. Although again, you know, Bentancur's there, then he disappears. Who else is young and on Juve's books and at other clubs that I'm forgetting about? That we oh, look the at because they sold Mandragora, yeah. right? Not that he was ever going to. Do be. you want to joke that all of Sassuolo? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Rugani's there. Uh, in terms of other clubs, Rugani, uh, by the way, is twenty-four now. So, like, Rugani's one of those guys who's been young for a long time. Yeah. Do they have buybacks for Aldero? Do they have buybacks for well, Mandragora? Certainly, Studado's gone. <laughs> but I mean, Mandragora too. He's not even that young. I mean, if Mandragora was going to turn into the next big thing, mm. we probably would have noticed by now, right? Yeah. Sure. In other, perhaps even more sensational transfer rumour news, PSG Icardi. Is that going to happen? Well, I hadn't heard anything about this. Because I mean, all they have to do is... about this the last couple of days, saying that Cavani might be going to Inter, but certainly they're interested in Icardi. Wow. Well, yeah. I, I, I love this. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, Cavani is exactly what, what Inter needs. All right. You know, like, let's bring in another guy who... What is he? he he's the, isn't he the same age as Suarez? Which yeah. would make him like 32, 33. Okay. Yeah, let's have Cavani and let's have Godin because All they're right. Uruguayan. So they have Garra with Vecino too. We just buy the whole freaking. Wait until they get old and then buy every Uruguayan player in the world, right? Lily Adani will be happy. <laughs> so, okay, so that's a no from you guys to that. that, that well, it's not a no, but like. Right. Um, but why? Why, why? why would you do okay. this? Well, what happened at the weekend? When Inter played Roma, Icardi's again on the bench. Mm-hmm. La Mantire starts. Right. It does again look like, um, yeah, this situation is not going to be resolved. I mean, I don't think it's impossible that Icardi um, 
stays at into in the summer. Right. But if PSG were to offer, manager. and the Gazette is talking about 70 million euros, uh, then uh, that would be probably something that Inter would be interested in. Okay, maybe it's just the Gazette. Or if you have to take Cavani as well. I, you'd have to ask the Gazette of that. I'm going to move on, though, because you mentioned Inter's game against Roma, which was uh, significant in that it was part of a top-four race in which pretty much nobody won. Atalanta won away in Napoli and were received with rapturous scenes on their return to Bergamo. I loved the banner, and I think a lot of the Atalanta players loved the banner, which had been Ilicic mocked up as a grandma, Nonna Giuseppina, um, because Gasparini has called him when he trains. He's usually so kind of just like walks around the pitch, holding his back like a sort of, you know, old woman, sort of just like, ah, oh, it's too hard. Come on, give it up. Right. And yeah. Obviously, when he plays, turns it on, came on for what, the final half hour against Napoli. I mean, Ilicic is something else. I mean, this season, 11 goals, seven assists. I mean, the two of the, Gasparini said, look, we've got cover all over the pitch everywhere else. But I have to have those three guys up front. I have to have Zapata. I have to have Papu. I have to have Ilicic. Basically, behind Inter, who are in third place, five points clear of the next team. You've got Milan and Atalanta, who are level on points. Is Milan actually ahead on head-to-head? Is that right, James? Okay. Behind them, you've got Roma, a point behind them. And then Torino and Lazio, a little bit further off. The second half of the season, Mm. if you were to tot up who who's where in in the league you were top obviously Atalanta second Torino third wow. I think Napoli are down in sixth or seventh mm. things have kind of come apart in April for Napoli but I want to say this about Napoli and because of people, we, really, we react to results I watched that game I thought in the first half Napoli were first really now. good yeah I mean, even, even more than that I mean Napoli I thought you know deserved to win that game by, mm. based on performances we talked on Monday about their disappointments in uh, the Europa League against Arsenal. So moving on down the table, a massive win for Bologna under their manager, Sinisa Mihalovic, who, Gab, you're already curling your lip, but he's doing a fine job. Sampdoria, though... Can I just add a couple of things on Bologna? One of the stats that blew my mind Uh was that since the beginning of March, only Lewandowski and Messi have scored more goals than Eric Pulgar. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Extraordinary. <laughs> and this was the team that could not score goals. This is like two months worth. Yeah, yeah. He scored six goals in that time. Mihalovic's impact, I mean, I've got to hold my hands up and say I've not seen a lot of their games, so I don't know what he's done. But well, he's taken the handbrake there. off. Um, they are a lot more attacking than they were on the Pippo Inzaghi, which is not hard because right. I think they scored 16 goals in 21 games under him. I think they're scoring double now, so one and a half goals a game. Right, three goals in this game, but they were helped uh, considerably by Emil Aldero, the Indonesian-born Sampdoria keeper, who... Who's an otherwise very good goalkeeper. But in this game, it was extraordinary how little he appeared to want to stop the ball going into the net. There's a third goal that just blows my mind to see. Yeah, I I listened to Jean-Paul after this, and he said he'd sustained some sort of an injury. Okay, a brain injury. (laughs) That felt like a little bit of an excuse made. Right. But... He's been very good this season. Maybe not as good as Cranio, the Cagliari goalkeeper mm. who's been. Or Mazzari says that Sirigu is by far the best goalkeeper in Serie A. If Mazzari says it, there you go. So Torino are genuinely in. They're up in seventh at the moment. In with a shout of uh, European glory. Siamo la rivelazione dell'anno. Very nice. Very nice. Inter are going to get third. Who, who's going to get fourth spot? Do you think Atlanta can compete? It's the Derby d'Italia this weekend. Right, OK. Well, as usual, we've run out of time. We haven't even got on to that. Juve taking on Inter this weekend. Before that, 
briefly touch on the fact that Atalanta are in action against Fiorentina in the cup semi-final that's tomorrow and tonight Gab the other semi-final and tonight the other semi-final the big grudge match Milan against Lazio wow we'll review all the interesting points from those games all the ones we can remember to fit in in next week's Galazzo which as ever will come with a fat look back at some treasured memory from the golden age of Calcio for now many thanks to Gabriele Marcotti and James Horncastle <laughs> And from all of us here, it's Arena Dirci. You've been listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production. And for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audio Boom, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand.